We could talk about uh, John's prediction of like the tech implosion. I felt like first it was all the uh, firings, and then was it uh, SVB? It, it feels like dominoes falling. Did you notice something? Yeah, I saw that. Every time something like this happens, like like insanely crazy in tech, I think of John's words. I don't know why. I just. I, I don't know why. I guess like when you, Which when you words? talk like futures, <laughs> like words? just just everything. When you're talking like futures and everything else, of the like, hey, be on the lookout for this. And I I just always just think like, man, I wonder what John is saying right now. Like if it's if it's a if it's like massive tech layoffs, if it's One, what happened two. with the Silicon Bank, right? I just yeah. think about that sometimes. Like, eh. oh yeah, we will be talking about that because I think it is relevant <laughs> in the security yeah. community for sure today. So oh yeah. Can we throw more money at this problem? (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security talking about news. In this edition, we're calling it the It's Not a Problem Till It's a Problem for Me edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news. And the reason why is we have a lot of stories and a lot of big things going on on the internet and in the world in general, where it seems like it's not an issue until it's an issue for the people involved. And I want to start with probably the biggest thing that most people are interested in talking about, the absolute total complete meltdown of um, Silicon Valley Bank. And I don't want to go through the timeline of what happened. I There's lots and lots and lots of cool things talking about that. What I want to kind of query everybody that's on with us today is what does this mean? Basically, we do know at this point that all of the bank deposits, if you have a checking account, if you have a savings account, that's going to be honored. People are going to be able to do payroll. Hooray. If you invested in SVB, you're screwed. So congratulations on that. But I want to open it up to one important question is what does this do to the VC industry as far as like innovation and computer security. Is this actually an issue? Was a lot of the innovation just FUD and snake oil? Or is there going to be tangible impacts further on down the line in the security community as a whole? So that would be the kind of the opening question I want to start with on that. Anyone want to jump in? Who wants to go (laughs) first? Who studied economics? Really easy question, John, to start us out. I know. I know, right? (laughs) Nice and light. I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot first. Looking at it, looking at the history, looking at what's happened with other banks or other systems that have failed during the financial due to financial problems. I think that what this will affect more along the lines of is the amount of VC funding and how long it takes to get VC funding. I think what's going to wind up happening is you're going to see fewer VCs giving out fewer bucks, but I think they're going to go ahead and do a little bit more research and require a little bit more hard evidence that it is worthwhile. It might cut down on some of the snake oil that we get or some of the people that are just trying to go ahead and build up a company to flip it around and get it bought by another company. That might get brought down a bit without tangibles to it. But I think that's where we're really heading on it. Overall, I don't think there's going to be a ton of change. I think it's just going to be probably a few years of being shy. I mean, you take a look at what happened with the housing market and how a lot of those predatory practices, some of them have slipped back in through side channels around regulations that were set up. So I can sort of see history repeating itself only on the VC side of things this time. Uh, yeah. Let me ask one question. Why does so all this VC funding always went to Silicon Valley Bank, right? No. Yes. Most most of it, like uh, I, of it. I looked at the top people who had the most money in there, and like all yeah. of them had millions, hundreds of millions, billions. Why were they just using that one bank? Why was I that? Can answer, I okay. can answer that question. All, all right. right, and it actually makes sense. So let's say Wade, I give you ten million dollars, right, to start your own VC firm. In it, or not your own VC firm, to start your own company as a startup. Now, one of the things that was very, very, very cool about Silicon Valley Bank is they made it very easy for you to get lines of credit and get loans, even if you didn't have a positive cash flow. So if Black Hills Information Security tried to get a loan at Wells Fargo or US Bank or Chase or wherever, with those traditional banks, they want to make sure that there's actual really good fundamentals in play 
in the company before they give me a line of credit. So if I'm running a company and I'm bleeding out, let's say $200,000 a month, any rational bank that looks at this from a traditional business, like, like fundamentals is going to say, you're out of your effing mind. Whereas Silicon Valley Bank understood startup companies and they were willing to give cash and create lines of credit for companies that may not be cash flow positive. So if I'm investing in you, I want you to go to Silicon Valley Bank with, with the money that I'm giving you. Because I know if we get into a bit of a, a crunch on cash, you'll be banking with a bank that understands the situation and they'll be able to get you additional funds as far as like a line of credit or a loan to get you through. So they were very, very, very like amiable to these startup companies. So that's why everyone went to okay. Silicon Valley. That makes a lot of sense. So they were they were willing to take bigger risks and possibly yes. lose amount of money on this, which uh-huh. also gives me a little bit more insight into possibly how they failed, right? Because they were taking all this. I'm sure there was other stuff, but that was the one question I had no clue about, there, and that makes more sense on why everyone was going there. So but, there's a bunch we can quickly get into why they failed, like very, very, very quickly. One, they didn't diversify their investment portfolio with the money that they had in the bank. They were sticking with like mortgage-backed securities and treasury bonds, short-term yield, that the interest rate was very, very low on. So if they tried to sell those, they would lose money because the interest rate went up. Most banks try to keep a larger cash on hand so they can handle a run on the banks. And then they also try to diversify their assets that they're investing in. So an example would be if the housing market's crap for banks, then you can just do like precious metals or something like that. You can sell assets in other sectors and make money so you can get liquid cash on hand. What happened is they didn't, they were kind of into a tiny crunch on cash on hand, tiny crunch. (laughs) And no, seriously, (laughs) tiny crunch, catastrophic until the point that the investors who loved Silicon Valley Bank started telling the companies they invested in, go pull all of your money now. (laughs) So, so John, I think every bank is susceptible to a bank run. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. While while mm-hmm. it is it is it is fair to say that some banks are more diversified or have more cash on hand. Every bank is susceptible to a cash run. Okay, because not all of your money stays in there. They reinvest it in other things. Right. Yes. Um. So that so just to kind of clear the air about that, we're all there. There's no safe bank there. But that's when the FDIC is supposed to come in. The thing is, with this particular bank, a lot of people had a lot of like way more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is a whole nother separate thing. But to go to your actual like divergence here about, you know, outside of the banking system, like how does this affect VC startup and stuff? My bigger thing is, do we necessarily need more VC startup? I don't know. I feel like personally that while there are some VC backed startup that do end up making something great, I do think a lot of it is just a cash grab to create value, go to a stock, you know, get listed on a stock market, sell and bail, right? And then just move on to the next thing. But that's just my opinion. And that brings up the second problem with Silicon Valley Bank. No one wanted to buy them. And part of the reason why no one wanted to buy them, just one of the reasons, was because the type of companies that they invested in and the money that they had in the bank were not a whole bunch of companies that have solid business fundamentals. Because you're absolutely right, Ralph. Most of the time in the VC world, which once again is completely horseshit, just to make it completely clear, when you invest in a company, a lot of the investors have two exit strategies that they honestly care about. The first exit strategy is the company is bought by another company. So you invest in, say, a SIM company, and then you invest, let's say, $10 million, and then they sell that to Amazon or Microsoft or Splunk for $50 million. You made a crap ton of money in that situation. The other thing is you go IPO, and then once the stock goes public, then you make a bunch of money on that. The biggest problem about this entire space, and this is far beyond SVB, is uh, very, very, very few companies that are not legacy old companies are actually cash flow positive and making money. They may be having like billions of dollars in sales a year or whatever, but they're still bleeding money. And that once again comes back to the traditional banking system where a lot of people in the traditional banking system are like, I don't want to touch that entire market segment because they are not making money. And that's what we're coming into the question that I think is important here. Like, does this cause the full VC funding universe to basically pump the brakes and start going someplace else, uh, getting away from IT and moving into other things? 
I, I got some scary stories I want to share here in a little bit, but I want to put that question out there. You, what do you all think from a VC funding? Do you think that this just going to find another bank and keep going, or did they get burnt enough here? So, I want to, I want to jump in. Yeah, go ahead, Ian. Yeah, so uh, you you might have heard me say when when Wade had said like, was this the only bank to go with? And I said, or they they all go with it. And and John said yes, and and I said no. And the truth is, John's absolutely right. But I believe I'm also right as well in this. Everyone went with SVB for all the reasons that John said, right? Invest, investors say, I work with this bank. They understand it. I'm about to give you a $20 million check. Use this bank. You're not going to argue, right? You got the check. You get access to this stuff. But I was talking to some friends of mine, two, two sets of friends of mine who are running startups. And I said, hey, are you okay? And they said, by sheer luck, yes, because we use Brex. And I'm not recommending any of these. But there were other banks that, depending on your investors, weren't in SVB. And if you were one of those, cool. But it still exposes, like John said, a lot of the problems with VC. Like, are we just throwing money into a system because it's easy and it's like, hey, spread it all around and one of these will take off. And if it does, we get all our money back from all the failures. So the, the whole move fast, break things in Silicon Valley absolutely permeated into finance as well. So to answer the second part of John's question, will it have an impact? Yes, and decidedly no. I think the companies that are looking to do those cash grabs that are like, hey, all we're trying to do is build a product that we sell to Splunk, to Microsoft, and then get out, they're going to be fine. They're, they're, there's going to be no issues with that. That's all going to be private funding directly through contacts and back rooms. Nothing, none of that's going to change. But the companies that have got a good idea that might have been miraculous, but can't demonstrate how they're going to make money quickly. Yeah, they're going to be impacted 100% because the mechanism that made it easy to take chances, Silicon Valley Bank, doesn't exist anymore. So now they're going to have to be a little more well, conservative about the bets they take. So a couple of things, right? When you're dealing with like, like with the, the VCs, I think that when they're going to they're gonna cool out for a while, it's not going to be like how it was before because they're going to wait for everything that I say heal. So it's just more so from a perspective like saying, okay, cool, you know what? While we're going through this transition and with this situation with the, the bank collapse, now we got to make adjustments. Some people might be able to stay on the staff. They might make some cuts on their end as well, too. You might see some layoffs within their, within their firms as well, too, just so they can adjust to weather the storm. Do I think they're going to change their behaviors? No. It'll be back to the way it, it, the way it was before the collapse happened. It's just going to take a little bit of time now. They're going to ease up on giving out funding. They're just going to say, okay, wait a minute. They might not even do the research. They might just say flat out no until the process and, and, and that heals itself. And dude, BSD, uh, BSD is absolutely right. And there's some terrifying undercurrents and connotations about what he said. I, I have lots of friends that are in the VC game. I have lots of friends that are starting up companies. I, I, I'm not part of that world because I looked at it and I was like, F, no. But talking to them, I already know of two situations where a VC firm had agreed to pay a development startup X number of dollars. I can't remember if it's per quarter or per month. It's completely irrelevant. Contractually had signed a contract. So let's say hypothetically, I signed a contract to give BSD $10 million over the next two years, but it's in payment installments in that contract. I know of two situations where startup companies got a call from their VC funding and they said, we're not giving you any more money. And they said, we had a contract, we had a deal. And the VC firm's perspective on this is they want to pull all of their money out of the water, wait for things to simmer down. They would rather have that cash on hand. And sure, they violated that contract. But they also know that if they wait long enough and you get into a lawsuit situation, the actual startup company will run out of money and go out of business before the lawsuit is ever uh, like settled. So we're seeing that type of activity that's starting to happen from some really, really, really shady VC uh, organizations. But I think BSD nailed it. They're going to pull out for a while, wait for things to calm down, find another bank, find another way to do this, and then they're going to come back into the waters. But what that means in the short term for some of these firms is their VC funding that they think is secured, that's coming, is not going to come. And I think that that's yeah. going to create some impacts in the industry as a whole. Do you think mm -hmm. this is actually going to affect security? 
<laughs> so for, for frame of reference, um, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank had 500 security firms uh, mm -hmm. that were banking and working with them. Not A lot of them weren't directly invested by Silicon Valley. I think there was like a couple. Yep. CrowdStrike was one and they're not going to be a problem. But I don't know. See, I think one thing we're going to see in the job market is going to cool off dramatically because there's going to be a lot more people that are laid off with certain dev skills and things like that. This is one of those things where either A, it's going to mean more business for firms like BHIS and TrustedSec. and Who's left over um, to take over the work. Your ideas where all of a sudden these firms can't do the work and they're going to come to companies that are more stable. It yeah. could be that none of it matters. It's like Ian said, it's going to be catastrophic for some people, mm -hmm. but for the vast majority of us, it ain't going to matter for nothing. Sure. You know, John, it's funny you said that because uh, earlier up, and forgive me in the chat, uh, somebody put, uh, it, it doesn't impact me at all. I'm in Canada. I wouldn't, <laughs> well, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, remember, it's the, been uh, Silicon Valley Bank in, had, a, had a branch in the UK as an example. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they had a Canadian branch or they just ran all of that through the United States or not. I, I don't know about Canada. But, but HSBC bought the silicon valley uk division right mm -hmm. but, but even more where i was going that we we talked about this i think it was either through text or I, I can't remember what but but like payroll like if you <laughs> are one of those disruptive companies that has got a payroll service that's breaking the mold of natural national banks and oh by the way when Fintech. you put payroll checks mm -hmm. into svb for us to pay them out or uh, that might not have happened on friday if you are using a product or service that has bills to pay for cloud and they give that product or service internationally but they're based in the us and funded through svb yeah something you do could be impacted it, it is an, a contagion that reaches globally when you talk about tech so don't don't always count on geographic locations <clears throat> to me this keeps like relating to like a single point of failure right in the like in my my tech head that's what I have like locked onto why was Silicon Valley Bank such a single point of failure? Why didn't other VCs diversify? Like Ian said, and is, is that just because of their reputation pretty much? And that's it. From what I've heard, and I, I'd have to look this up to confirm it. If somebody wants to confirm it, please do. If you're looking at SVB, the CEO, I believe he's the CEO. There's been a lot of like really crappy information flying around. Um, the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank was the CFO of Lehman Brothers in 2008 when it collapsed. If somebody can confirm that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, Ooh, I saw uh, the screenshot of the, the so, page Yeah, so, about us. So oh. whenever you're saying, Wade, there's a single point of failure and they did this with mortgage-backed securities, like why the hell would they do that? They, they say history doesn't repeat, but damn, it rhymes. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so you're literally looking at a dude who was there in 2008 may not be completely responsible for the collapse, but he's pretty high on that list of Lehman Brothers. <laughs> he failed as he a CFO of Lehman Brothers. And then he became the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank. And they were right back Whoa. in mortgage-backed securities. So mm -hmm. this is, you know, there's so many things that are not really computer security related, but holy crap. <laughs> Um, we can talk about deregulate deregulation and all of that stuff, which I know some people are like, blame Trump, blame these people. Both parties voted to deregulate. Yeah. Yeah. This reminds me of yeah. uh, the guy who survived like one atomic blast to go to like <laughs> the other one. Yeah. Like, yeah. Can we get his whole background? Because Ben just said before he did he intern at uh yeah, did he intern at Enron with like Arthur Anderson <laughs> Consulting? That would be absolutely hilarious. Oh my goodness. Reuters actually has a whole background on the guy, and I'm looking at it right now, and I don't see Lehman Brothers listed in there. He's been with, the CEO has been with, uh, he joined Silicon Valley Bank three decades ago as a loan officer and worked his way on up. So yeah. the whole Lehman thing looks to be a bunch of uh, bunk. That, really? Well, no, no, hold on. What was the, what it's was about the article or he worked at Lehman Brothers 30 years ago before he went to cuz that that's the point. Oh I dear would, god. That would be 20 years ago though. Well, no how, oh. Oh my no, no, no. If if he was at Lehman Brothers and then went to Silicon Valley Bank and then 10 years later Lehman Brothers fails, 
you know, I, like I said, I'm just trying to be a little bit kind. He was, I, he, he started with, with, uh, with SVB during the dot com boom is what it was saying. Oh, it looks like he oh, was yeah. at Lehman Brothers prior. Right. Oh, to man. Yeah. Way prior. That's what, so that's he what was, I was making. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, okay. So hopefully he doesn't, uh, I w- wouldn't hire him. No, no. <laughs> what we know now. Sure. So, uh, I'm sure he got a golden parachute. But, but, a, but a higher oh, sure too. from somebody at Lehman Brothers at the time well, was probably a coup. It was like, oh, yeah. we got somebody from Lehman. They, you know? they did pay out all their bonuses before they shut oh, down. Yeah. So. Like before, well, that's know. good. That's they good. got a call yeah. that said, we're shutting you down. You guys have an hour. They're like, all right. All Got right. it. Check. Well, but let's let's tie this back to security. I do think that there's going to be an impact to the infosec ecosystem. I know that there's a bunch of people that are running around saying it's the end of innovation and information security. And what a lot of people don't understand <laughs> is most of the stuff that was coming out of the VC space was yeah. total complete garbage and snake oil anyway. Yeah. So we're not missing a whole hell of a lot. John, um, John. Juicero was a revolution in home juicing. The juicero. <laughs> <laughs> it like it squeezed those bags so good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, we've got to move on. So yeah. as I said, this, yeah. this episode is all about it's not a problem until it's my problem. Uh, do we want to talk about just maybe how the FBI is currently investigating a data breach that impacts... Uh hundreds of u.s house members and staff i'm so, so it looks ooh, like it's finally. for sale and it looks like it looks like they have like their social security name first name last name gender relationship the benefit the policy they have their their i think they have their spouses their children their ein number for their employer their personal email address i mean oh my god this is this is a pretty good little data breach right here. Um, I'm sorry, I'm confused. Is this the OPM breach over again? Yeah, <laughs> it's the uh, DC Health Link, which of- is the Affordable Care Act online marketplace uh, that administrators for healthcare plans yeah. for members of Congress and certain Capitol Hill staff. Yeah, so it's, it's DC Health Link. It's yeah. you know that yeah. that that medical coverage that whenever we have a debate about universal health care we go well why can't we just have what the congress people have that's, that's, a, that's the this thing. is their health care this well, is their this separate is yes yeah yeah this is the thing yeah. that is breached. i just i you know somebody was making a joke well now are we going to start getting some good cyber laws i don't know <laughs> ben chicken i don't know it is amazing to me like i mean they had the john oliver story where they were talking about data brokers and ad IDs, and then this is a hit. When okay, so let's say all of you had a magic wand, and Congress would decide to take on the cybersecurity problem. Mm-hmm. What the hell would we have them do? Honestly, let's assume. Retire. Let's not get into whether Retire. or not they can do it correctly. Okay, <laughs> let's not get into uh, whether or not they can do it competently. But if Congress set out to do something, and they could wave a magic wand, their Congress wand, mm. and it was good law, what would you want? Congress or any nation state to do from a cyber law perspective that would fix the problem. Great American firewall. Yeah, the great American firewall. <laughs> <laughs> I have no firewall look like a giant Linksys router. Wave? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go out west. Why I have an unpopular opinion. Uh, I read through the, the Biden administrations, and this isn't a uh, proclamation of any not an endorsement of any (laughs) but i read i read through their 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 cyber strategy right and two things that they called out which i think are would solve the problem pretty well one thing that would solve the problem pretty much immediately and will never ever happen Mm. um and it was putting liabilities on software manufacturers never happen never in a million years because no lobbyists, though they will dump an unholy amount of money into saying, no, if we've got bugs in something or some security control yeah. isn't, com- you can't come sue us. No, yeah. this stuff's hard. Did you but- read the EULA, Ian? <laughs> Did you read it? <laughs> what, a, uh, what about like yeah, a GDPR? You do that, for- you do that oh. piece, and that would change things. But we could do the same thing. I just heard Wade say, what about yeah. GDPR? What do you mean, Wade? What if what if we started taking like the European route? So GDPR, I know, follows at least like California. I'm in California. California has some pretty strict data laws and all that stuff. I know GDPR like will smack people for a percentage of their profits. I think mm-hmm. it is. Or is it gross revenue? I it's think gross. is it gross? Okay. 
So what if we what if we skewed more towards that where we had one giant really good data law instead of like you're basically saying an accountability framework rather than saying this is security. It's basically like you do what you do. You do you Pikachu, but should you get hacked? (laughs) This is how much you're going to pay. But at the same point, we saw things like uh, Alpha. I mean, we've talked on this webcast about companies like Alphabet and Facebook. They get hit with GDPR fines and shrug them off because they're like, oh, you want to take. Yeah, but if you're looking at, but Noah, if you're looking, a lot of those have been individual fines, but if you're looking like a GDPR 4% gross, that hurts. Oh, sure. Google, that's like, that's a big (laughs) paycheck there. But in this particular case, though, this was the federal government's own healthcare service portal. So like, who, what? (laughs) Like in that case, how would, you know, how would we, uh. And I'm not necessarily talking about solving this problem so much, Ralph. Is sure. well, let's general. say that they woke up and they're like, you know, well, I got hacked, so now we've got to do something about this. Like, sure. what the hell would we want them to do? Like, I, uh, I don't well, know. What, were, gonna, we, what were we talking about last week? Subsidized like security. Noah's answer. Noah's answer previously that slayed me is retire, retire, just retire, <laughs> just retire, just retire. <laughs> pretty much. Well, and I've, I've heard rumors that CISA is actually doing security assessments and pen tests. Now. Yes, did you? For the report was fairly good. They're, they're now, are they charging for that or do they do that for free? I could not find that anyway. <laughs> I'm going to be so honest subsidized with you. red teams. <laughs> that, that bothers me. I wonder why it bothers me. Probably because it's my problem now, right? My but. other thing with this particular attack is that it was just for pretty much like Congress members and a select few. Why didn't they just like make it where you had to do it on your work computer or something, right? As opposed to just available to the internet. I don't know. Just a thought. Because as soon as you make things difficult for people, yeah. they freak out. They're Especially like, I actually want this on my phone. Uh, I need mm-hmm. to I need to change my health care every 30 days on my phone. I don't know. Like what? You know? I, I have. A, so I've dealt with those kind of questions for a large national company that would have 150,000 employees. Right. And I cannot imagine the challenges that you have trying to say, well, uh, a bunch of these legislators and Congress critters are from California, which means we have to do this, 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 and this <laughs> and make sure that all this is complied with. And then these folks are from Wyoming and we need to do this, 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 and this, and this. They're never going to be able to go through and, and get something to the point where they can say, oh, you're just going to do it on work time because in California, then you have to pay them for it and you have to provide all this different stuff. And it, it gets really really insanely challenging to say just do this on your work computer especially and i'll use a personal example i've got four kids and i change jobs and i have to talk to my wife to say hey let's look at these plans and the only place i can do it and sign up is at work and now i gotta bring her to see it it, it well, gets really a lot ian even whenever you joined bhis mm-hmm. we sent you to a portal before you had a bhis yeah. account yeah mm-hmm. to get you set up like, sure. I don't know. It, it's it's very it's very complicated. But yeah. um, but still coming back to, I just don't know. You know, and I've had people ask me this. It's like you know, so if you could talk to a congressman or woman, like, and tell them what you want done in computer security, what would that be? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I have nothing short of like, something like Wade said, GDPR accountability framework, which would be cool. I don't know what I would have them do. Well, even even if you had something like GDPR and stuff like that, that's enforced by all of the European Union, right? As best as I understand it, each government in that group helps enforce that. So if you had Congress wave their magic wand and make all these new laws, who would be the enforcing body? We make you a cybersecurity arm of the government. A whole new division of the government to try to the cybersecurity division. We like it's the cyber division. Oh you my goodness! Cyber yeah. division <laughs> that holds like. They have like a council of like the top cyber people. John will be there, right? All the great minds, they come together like the Avengers and come up with yeah. these plans. <laughs> I, won't be, I, I won't be there. I don't want to be on that. Like, that and that, for that very reason, you have to be there, John. Yeah. It's those who don't want to. <laughs> That's what makes a hero. Get those phone calls. Can we get you to come out to DC to talk to some people? John, no. we figured that out. But in pretty <laughs> Why? They never I, listen to me. I they just lie don't, to you. They I don't tell you it's a B-side. <laughs> it's like that group down in Florida. We're trying to create a new compliance framework for all of our critical controls in, in Florida. Mm. What should we do? Like, don't. There's already frameworks out there. Don't write your own. Just use one of theirs. Never invited back again. So, <laughs> so John, 
We can have Dark Strand do all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we can have Dark Strand go to these meetings for me. It's so, perfect. We need more threat intel and cyber kill chain. <laughs> John, it's John's asking a question. Go ahead. I was going to say, John's asking what we should do. And uh, you know what? The best they can do is um, credit monitoring. So that's what we got. There we go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's our solution to this problem. It's tied to that. It. I was going to say, in in seriousness, this would this would have been a very good place for the consumer the consumer protection agency to say, okay, you're a company. Most of these companies are essentially data brokers. You are the product. Whether you're getting some sort of service out of it, having those types of cyber laws regulated by the consumer protection agency, I think, would be a good fit. But you got to come up with the laws and the fines and the whatnot for them to regulate them first. But I, I think yeah. that would be a good location for it. So speaking of data breaches, did you guys see the Acronis one one? No. Yes. So hold on. So this one, this one is uh, this one that got me peaked because I've seen these stories recently and I've seen this like notion about something that happens. Okay. So some data gets on a, a form. The immediate first thing is no, it's not a big deal. This is, this is not bad. Hold on, hold on. And then I am, this is my guess, it's going to get worse, all right? <laughs> so Acronos is downplaying an intrusion of about 12 gigabytes of data that got stolen. They're, they immediately are like, oh no, it was just one business thing. It, it really is not that important. Acronos, if you don't know, they make backup software and, it, and obviously to market to security as well, they make immutable backups. So if you get ransomware, right, it looks like, they may have some uh, security issues on their hand. And I guarantee so you- So what do they have? They have leaked the certificate files, command logs, system yep. configuration, system logs, mm -hmm. Python scripts for a database backup configuration. I don't know. Those Python like, scripts absolutely don't have secrets in them. Totally not. Even though Kernelware, Kernelware said the $120 million company is in, in the data production and infosec business. It had quote unquote, dog shit security that's what they said and yeah. the hacker was bored so they decided to humiliate them mm -hmm. wow that's i mean it sounds like mm. a hacking story uh, oh, yeah. it just I mean, it's seems not that like that is exactly what we were saying about last pass a few months ago right yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> every time i feel like we get snaked on it it's like no no it's not that bad this time and then like it simmers a little bit longer six months Okay, all right, we have to tell you guys something, all right? <laughs> we found these logs. I look at it like this, like if you have kernel aware, right? And he hacks or they hack it. And he's like, yeah, their 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 security's dog shit. I got bored, I left. You know that the Chinese and everybody else are like, hmm, "What? What?" Like, like <laughs> it, it's so weird. You mentioned LastPass. I think Cameron mentioned LastPass just now. It's the same thing. It's like once you start seeing these companies start getting breached, it's almost like a like a dinner bell is going and it's like come on over here hackers so they, they call them out well, you think that um, you think that's the reason why those responses go out right is when you're engaging with law enforcement things like that if you're an organization that is breached it's almost it's almost like you need to not say it's horrible so that you're not immediately the target of every terrible attacker <laughs> and you're letting an investigation continue during that time so you, instead of saying, oh, God, yeah, you know what, guys, two days in, it's it's terrible. Everything is on fire. and We're burning to the ground over here. And you immediately track all these all this attention of everybody. Yeah. Instead, you say, let's just wait. It's not that bad. Mm -hmm. Please don't come over here and cut our heads off or anything. Oh, and I got to investigation continue until you can say, all right, it is that bad. Investigation's concluded, but everything is patched up to the best of our knowledge. I, so one of the things about their response to kind of tie that in, Kevin Reed, he said, basically news appeared that alleged a Cronus breach. Some of my peers reached out to me with information offering to help. Thankful for that. Here's what we can share. Based on our investigation so far, the credentials used by a single specific customer to upload diagnostic data to a Cronus support have been compromised. We are working with that customer who suspended their account. And they're working with law enforcement. Then they say at the bottom, no other systems or credential has been affected. There is no evidence of other successful attack, nor is there any data in the leak that is not in the folder of that one customer. I don't know. They might be right on this, that it was one customer, but still, this kind of goes like, why, why, why wouldn't you enforce two-factor authentication on your customer 
there's something else yeah, here. They it, didn't want to deal with it. They just wanted to log in, just like those congressmen. And I know. Uh, <laughs> the customer had to be able to upload the diagnostic data from their phone. So we <laughs> we have another article too, and we only t- we can just touch on this because it's very much related. But Acer had uh-huh. a uh, uh, data breach as well. Now, the reason I want to kind of like harp on this as it relates to Acronis is that uh, Acronis hasn't been in the news recently of any data breaches, but Acer, this is like the fourth time, okay? So this is like the fourth mm. data breach that they've had, you know, and this time is 160 gigs. The last time it was a ransomware Sheesh. for $50 million. Seven months later, they had another after use system in India. So like, it's like a systemic thing, right? Like, and like you said, it's a dinner bell. Okay. Like yeah. everyone's gonna be like, Hey, what? This wasn't okay. that hard. All right. Let's check it out. Let's- yeah. I thought no. you were going to tie that back. Cause in the other article, Colonel, it's, it says uh, a Thursday thread PDF on the notorious yeah, breach. Colonel Ware, yeah. Yeah. Colonel Ware, who also cracked Acer. Yep. Yeah. The same person or people. Uh-huh. That's wild. Yeah. I really hope Acronis, I hope what their CISO said was true. And I hope that they're ready because it's what it, I hope about last pass. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Here, here I are. am. Like, where are we going? I don't know, but we just really can't stay here. We, we got to go. We, you don't have, is, we don't know where we're going. We're just not staying here. It's like, is it better? I don't know. Get on the damn bus right now. We're moving. It, it brings up kind of like a good idea that I never really thought about in an incident response plan. Once you hit breach and then you go through all the steps, right? Then you're about to announce it and you go, okay, we need to step up security to 11 now really quick while everything comes in because we're going to announce this i know that's i know you usually see right linkedin start blowing up with hires and stuff like that but i wonder have you that it's and the cool idea just like all right we're going to just tweak everything up everyone's going to be uncomfortable for a little bit so we get a number of assessments that come in from companies that are in the middle of an ir and they're like we want you to pen test us because we don't know how they got in and usually in environments like that when we start testing them we give them like seven or eight different things. It's like, well, you guys don't require two-factor authentication. All of your users click on every single link. Your website is completely riddled with security vulnerabilities. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But which one did the hacker use to get in? And we're like, <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know. Not exactly it's what we were doing. <laughs> and then some of the incidents that I've worked with where we haven't done the pen test, but I've been like an incident, not an incident coach, but an incident advisor or whatever. The thing that really bothers me is I get CISOs all the time that are like, yeah, we know about these other security vulnerabilities, but we want to know how they got in to just fix that one. Because they think that that's the only door. And if they could just fix that, everything's going to be fine. It's so weird. Once you get into an incident, how people look at stuff is is absolutely twisted and bizarre all, all the time. Well, I mean, if people looked at how the next people might get in instead, we might not yeah. be in business as long. And, 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 you know, that, that's another good point, but it's so weird. They don't think of it that way, right? They're not like, well, this is clearly how they broke in and this is all we need to do. It's kind of like um, Bloodhound data. Like we have companies where we run Bloodhound and there's thousands of potential vulnerabilities, but only a chain of five gets you DA. And they're like, we'll just fix those and <laughs> ignore absolutely <laughs> everything else. I want to. I want to go back to what Chris said, because may, maybe it's just maybe it's the painkillers because of my tooth today, which is why I have a face full of pain down here uh, that I'm feeling a little kinder than usual. But he brought up, Chris, you brought up like, hey, it feels like they're rushing to announce these things or they, they've, they've got to go through and say something. And the truth is, you couldn't be more right. If you're working yeah. at a big company like that, they are often on the clock, either contractually to let their partners know that they've had a breach or from a regulatory perspective from the state attorney general. And as soon as they know that they've been breached, they've got, they're on the clock. They got to go through and in 72 hours, say something. And I've had so many conversations with lawyers and folks like that as they're doing that saying, is this technically accurate? Can we claw this statement back if we need to? Is that the exact number? Because it is going to be entered as evidence. But the problem that that raises is that blood in the water is that other piece because I've, I've actually advised people to say you know what say it in the starkest terms we can do not give hackers the opportunity to be like oh it's a sophisticated threat and our security is so great but don't also downplay it you have to walk a super fine line to keep the hackers from going oh you think you're okay 
I say hackers, you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, you know, cyber criminals. But when when you keep them from doing that, but also appeasing the regulators, well, you said this, this, and this, which of these is true? It is a really hard line. Right. And a lot of times, if you're dealing with regulators or auditors like that, they're not, they'll ask one specific question. If you've ever, if you've ever been talking to an auditor, if you've ever been with an organization and you're somebody who an auditor comes to and asks questions, you answer the exact question they ask. You don't give them superfluous information. You don't add more things in because they'll go down those rabbit holes and they're trying to find out one specific thing. And if it's a regulator or an auditor, they're going to go by their checklist. If you mention more things, they'll ask. So a lot of times when you get a breach comes out, probably see these CISOs and other leaders of that organization say very little because if they say anything else, that, like you said, it will be admitted as evidence in any cases. It's going to be followed down. But really, the way that I think of it with those, those big companies is they got to let the investigation happen. If they open their mouth more than what they need to at that moment, to meet those contractual obligations or regulatory obligations, then they're, they're putting their organization even more at risk. And but- that's why I, this sounds horrible, but that exact thing that you just pointed out, like if I'm working with attorneys on the other side or, audit, or like the government on a case, like one of the things I always ask for is I don't want to sit and ask you a game of 20 questions. I'm not mm-hmm. interested. I will simply ask, where's your last pen test report? And I would like to have that as part of discovery. And those pen test reports, you can, you can just see like attorneys on the other side when I request that. They're just like, oh God, we're screwed. <laughs> and it's not always bad, right? Like I'm not doing it to try to screw over somebody, right? But if you look at like the last four years of pen test results for firms, you see either one of like, honestly, one of two things, never in between. Uh, the first thing that you see is a company that has had vulnerabilities, but they very quickly remediate those vulnerabilities and they're doing an outstanding job of computer security, but someone screwed up. Someone clicked a link. They had a server that wasn't protected. They made a simple mistake and that's what led them to be breached. And that's a horse of a completely different color, which you see more often than not, if you ask for like the last four years of pen testing results, then you almost always have, for most companies, either really crappy pen tests, they get the cheapest possible pen test they can. It's like a Nessa scan every year. And even within those really crappy pen tests, you see the same vulnerabilities showing up year after year after year after year, and they're never remediated. I don't see anything in between, right? I either see companies that are doing a relatively good job, they had an oopsie, someone clicked a link, or I see companies that are doing the absolute most crap minimum of security that they possibly can. The other reason why I asked for the last four years is because if the attorneys are smart in those companies, uh, they try to get the pen test results handed over to their attorneys. So it's attorney-client privileged information, and it's very difficult to get it out. And they may have done that for a year or two, but if you can request multiple years of that data and try to get a pen test report that is not protected under attorney-client privilege, then that gives you all kinds of uh, just amazing information to look at, the, look at the, the overall security hygiene of the environment. So to claw that back a little bit from one of the earlier questions that you asked John around, what can congressmen or women do about laws, about the other, other thing? One of the things I, I always think of when everybody asks, what are congressmen and women going to do to make this better or anything like that? They're, they're not the experts. If they try to make laws, even if they try earnestly and with the best of intentions and they're not playing to special interest groups or anything like that, they're probably still going to get it wrong 40% of the time at least. But you also see that sort of trend with leadership at organization. You may have a CISO that has no knowledge whatsoever of what actual security is. And I think those are the people that you get to say, hey, we want you to pen test and I want you to find the one way they got in so that I can say we fix that one thing and not worry about putting a security program in place that actually addresses security as a whole, because they're not seeing it from the same perspective as industry professionals like us on this call and everybody listening. They're seeing it as I have a responsibility to the organization and I don't want to lose my millions of dollars of <laughs> bonus or whatever. Or capital, yeah. Or I, I don't want to be the scapegoat. I want to be the person that, that saved the company by being able to say we fix that and, whole, right? And one of the things I like to point out to people, and I've been doing this for years, is if you're in the security community today 
and you're working for a crap company and you're working for a crap CISO like that, like we're in a jobs, like, like we, we need more people, right? We're in a jobs like drought right now. We need more security professionals. Uh, we're, sorry, we're not in a jobs drought. Um, we're in a talent drought. So if you're good and you're working for a company and you're busting yourself on rocks for a CISO or an organization that doesn't want to do good security practices, it's time to start looking and moving to other companies because mm -hmm. there are a lot of companies out there that want to do the right thing. And we have a number of testers here on this call. And honestly, we see very marked differences in firms. Like some of them are really just incredibly tough nuts to crack and others are just like absolutely horrible. Go find the good companies and work with them. That that would be uh that would be some good questions. What are questions to ask in an interview to try to see how good they are at security? Are you investing with SVB? Because I think this is a fascinating one. I'm I'm fairly familiar with it, but I think it's worth mentioning for the, the viewer. So Proxmox put in here, is the threat of an FTC consent decree a motivating factor? So for those that don't know, before we go into this and we'll people have a chance to do this, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, regulates business transactions across state lines. That's where the federal government gets involved. So a lot of breaches for national organizations that have data from California and Illinois or whatnot, that's where the FTC steps in and says, oh, you messed up. And now we're going to audit you every year for the next 15 years. And you're going to give us consent to do that. And then this all goes away. Yeah. If, it, if you don't, then you get fined whatever the number is we come up with. So what does everyone here think? Would an FTC consent decree fix this? Because I have opinions, but what's what's everybody else's? I think 50% of the show is my opinions. It's, it's for someone else. Cameron, go ahead. <laughs> I think it would probably make it better, maybe a little bit, but for any kind of issue. Like, it's just not going to be one one solution that just is a magic button that works. Yeah. I, I, I've been outspoken on my opinions of how finance and IT security kind of work together, usually not in the most positive light, but I would feel like if you did have the FTC require something like that, you'd probably see some like better funding in certain companies and then in other companies, it would be just the same, but in certain companies, you might get some better funding, some better talent as, as a result. So, you know, that's interesting because uh, BHIS, you know, we're trying to tie it back to the, the Silicon Valley bank thing at the beginning, um, we do very little work in Silicon Valley uh, for pen testing. Like whenever everything started going to hell, we quickly went through our customer portfolio. We're like, well, do we have anybody in there? No, we came out like, I think completely clean. And the reason why is a lot of the startup companies, they really aren't interested in doing a good pen test. They want to do the cheapest thing that they can to basically get a checkbox to show that they do some type of due diligence and move on as quickly as possible. So going back to like the FTC thing, I, I and Ian, I want to get your opinion on this because I, I, I want to know, I really want to know, but my thought is it's going to be inconsistently applied and you're going to have the good old boy network and that's what you're going to run into with that. So what, what are your thoughts on it? Very close to the same thing. And the short, the answer that I would have given for, um, and for, for Proxmox is yes, absolutely. For the businesses that need it the least and need the help the most. And there's a wonderful book that it's a self-published book by the owner of the company, but it's called the devil inside the beltway. And it is their story of an FTC consent decree absolutely destroying their business, which did medical lab testing for prostate cancer, right? And and they were like, we weren't hacked and they have a really good reason why. And I, I tend to agree with them to a degree, but fighting the FTC on it was impossible. Whereas companies like Facebook, Google, uh, any these big banks that we're talking about, they're going to do the same thing that any business does. They're going to look at it and say, well, what is the cost of us assigning a team of 50 people to deal with the FTC for the next however long versus fixing the problem. And just like the fight club analysis of, you know, do we do the recall? They go, oh, okay, well, whatever happens, we're good because we can absorb that. So it, it, would it see change? Sure. Would it help? Maybe. Would it help fix the problems that really need to be fixed? Probably not. See, and I think that that gets down to one of the things, you know, kind of coming down to the end of the show is I think that so many of the problems come from the fact that our views of everything, and I mean, in general, 
are so short term, right? Like if you're looking at quarterly reports, what are your earnings? What is your stock price? Those are the things you're constantly focusing on. And computer security is one of those long-term sustained investments that doesn't fit well into that model of very short quarterly returns, quarterly profits, trying to get, you know, trying to get bought. You're trying to keep your costs down if you're a startup because you want to look at your cost to the overall income that's coming in to make that look as positive as you can. And I know tons of companies that'll shut down any and all outgoing checks. They literally won't pay money at all for like months to people. So it looks like they just have this crazy balance sheet where they're making crazy amounts of money, but it's only short term. And I think, and I think kind of try to wrap this up and I'd like to get other people's opinions. This entire system, whether we're talking laws, whether we're talking the FTC, whether we're talking about SVB, all of these things tie down to one simple problem. And that is all of this is focused on short term gains. And that's completely opposed to what computer security actually is as a cost center. This reminds me heavily of like international politics and China's strategy right now, where China is definitely in it for the long game right now. And they're doing it very well. And they've they've have been for a while, whereas in the U.S. only looks at the short game, just like you said. And I never thought about cybersecurity as a whole like that. It makes a lot of sense. But yeah, China thinks of things in hundred year plans. We yeah. think of them in quarterly filings. Yeah, like mm. building that Silk Road they're going doing right now, right? And investing into certain technologies. It's interesting from that standpoint. Why why is this show always so depressing? why you're listening to this on a podcast or a youtube like why why are you here there's no i have a i have one last security congratulations you all have job security i have an upbeat story for the end right go ahead i'm gonna bring it home and we're gonna talk about privacy which is our other big uh topic right uh there was an article in uh, politico about uh the privacy loophole in doorbells okay so a lot more people have cameras at their home and other things like that. And so um, there is a very popular doorbell from Ring. It actually got bought up by Amazon, speaking of VC funding. Anywho, they, uh, the police department was requesting the video from the doorbell. And so they're subpoena, subpoena that information, right? Because that data is not actually stored at your house or anything like that. They've been able to acquire that video. What do you guys think about this? This really goes into the privacy sector. So a little bit off of the fintech, but so we're this really bringing on a happy home. note. This I, is an ending on a happy yeah, note. All right, I made one lie. Did you watch Old Yeller and laugh at the end? Did you think, did you think Titanic was an uplifting, happy movie at the end that involved I have an argue with my wife about that. Titanic oh, my God. Ah. But that's not for this so, episode. But there's been, Ralph, have you noticed that there's a ton of stories around this? where people are talking about surveillance in the United States government and yeah. they're realizing the United States government can get amazing surveillance data by just buying it. Mm-hmm. And what are the legalities of that surveillance data whenever it's they're buying it through legal means? I it's, know. it's, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but it's so funny because when I was in the intelligence community, there was all this hand wringing. It's like, well, if we have satellites going over the United States, do we shut them off? Do we send all of the traffic that's being received to Dev Knoll? And how do we do this? How far off the edge of the of the United States do we have to like you know, all of this? What are geofencing? What is blue force data and all this stuff and completely freaking out about it? And now they're literally just like going to some data broker online and they're like, here's a billion T dollars. And they're like, here's everything you ever dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And the government's mm-hmm. like, it's like, so... So you're just going to give this to me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've got money. Here's here's everything. Just here you go. Just take it. So you just get all of this data. There's no, 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 no. People signed off. They don't read no, the They, they gave it to us. They Select love it. it. They gave it to us. And the government's like, they just gave it to you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I'll take some of this and some of this. Do you mind if I take these over here? As long as you're paying, take it. And what do we expect? Like, are we going to be shocked that the government has the data that they can buy? Ugh. It's so, like crowd, we're crowdsourcing our own security, right? Just kidding. We, we completely missed. We completely missed an opportunity like years ago, right? Everyone's willing to give away their Facebook to have social media and whatnot. I am willing to let you see pictures of every meal I eat out and complaining about my cats and whatnot. And uh, I want that to all be invested in a company called Universal Healthcare. That was- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 
So Ralph, mm. there was a there was an article, and I just I just tried to dig it out from about four years ago from around where I live uh, in Charleston, and it was the the Charleston and North Charleston Police Department tried to petition local people, not really petition, but put it out there for them mm -hmm. to voluntarily register their home surveillance cameras sure. with a with a program, and they partnered with a ring. This was mm -hmm. four years ago, and they said if you sign up for this. If there's a crime committed in your area, then the police have access to your camera. You've given consent for them to access it so that they sure. can place a suspect at the scene of the crime and use it as evidence. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of like a, it was kind of acted as a, a pre-sign off so they don't have to go through the whole subpoena sure. process to, to move things along quicker. Uh, and it's, it's funny you mentioned this because I just saw maybe while I was having lunch today, a video of a woman, I don't know if it was real, it was a cop on a ring doorbell. And they came up to the ring and they were communicating through it with the owner who wasn't there. Mm -hmm. They're saying, we have suspect we were chasing. We don't know where they went. Can you, do you have any other cameras and tell us which way they headed? And the he's lady in the trash the can. cameras and said, he's in my trash can around the back. <laughs> and so the cops ran around the back and surrounded <laughs> the trash can, made the guy come out. Cause he, I guess he yeah. just ran around the house and hopped in. So um, I think the, the big thing in this article was about the fact that they could um, go around, um, that asking you right they don't even have mm -hmm. to go to you directly they could just go around it right um and just how we you know all the iot stuff that we deploy and the privacy that does not come with it in some cases right if i give yep. them access to my cameras do i get quicker response times <laughs> no. <laughs> no there's other cheat codes for that though yeah. i'm still ralph why was this good news? Like, I'm still, I'm dying. No, no, I never said it was good news. I just <laughs> said did. it wasn't Happy as bad. You did. did you? I just thought it was the, funny. Uh, yeah. The uh, that ring is making a helicopter. Still coming. Which one's still coming? What was that, Cameron? Oh, the happy note that we're going to end on is still coming, right? Oh, I, okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll tell you yeah. what. We're we're at the end. I want to leave it on a happy note. He's going to bring it. Make me happy. I'm going to try to make it happy. Number one, y'all that are listening to this, we have job security, and that's. That's pretty cool, right? We talk about the layoffs. We talk about all these things. There's been articles that say that the computer security industry has been pretty much immune to those job layoffs. So have hope. But I'm also going to say that that comes with a responsibility that we have to continue to try to fight to make things better. Somehow the entire internet and the entire planet hasn't completely unraveled yet. So keep trying, you know, and then more importantly, there's a lot of people here that are trying to help you out. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, free education, pay what you can training from people like us and other people online. Just get out there and help each other and try to have a good time. So there we go. There's my positive right. message. Job Ryan, Ryan had a good happy note to end on as well. Yeah, if, well if he wants to throw it up on the uh, screen. Yeah, we got new fancy stuff. Yeah, look oh, at that. Yeah. Oh, the hacker, oh. By the way, the hacker hoodie is going away. It's retiring. It's retiring. I'm so, really, I need to buy another. So you, you want to get that, that Rekha hacker hoodie? It's time to get it. See, and that's that's a good thing. That's Ooh. my favorite one is the flux capacitor. Really nice yeah. That's a really mm -hmm. good yes. So there you go. There's some good news as well. There you go. Yeah, you get a whole new whole new wardrobe. Hold on, I designed that shirt and I haven't been sent one yet. <laughs> yeah. Did you? Did you Shoot that. me an email. We'll fix that. We'll fix that for sure. Yeah, we gotta fix that. If nothing else, I I realized that. Black Hills sucking at capitalism isn't because of a lack of John's knowledge of capitalism. He chooses to suck at capitalism. So, all right, we'll go over a little bit. I've got to talk about this just a hair. So I'm, I'm a little nutty, right? I'm not, I get uncomfortable, whatever. I feel more comfortable in a room of a hundred people or a thousand people than I do like in one-on-one -on -one conversations. It's just kind of the way I'm wired. And when I was coming up, years ago and starting Black Hills Information Security, there was a bunch of firms that would court me and other instructors at the Sands Institute with their products. And they would take us out to steak dinners. They would take us out to all kinds of cool things. And I just want to be honest, they were creepy as shit. Like they were very weird people. And I, I kind of you know started BHIS and doing what we do specifically because I didn't want to party with those people anymore. They were just they were very, very awkward, weird people. And, you know, it's just, they just seem like sharks, literally, because they were. So a lot of this sucking at capitalism, I guess we're going to say that we suck at their game of capitalism. But you know what? I feel pretty goddamn good about how we do capitalism at BHIS right now, because maybe, just maybe, 
they might suck at capitalism, maybe even more than me. So for that, we're, we're in it for oh, the long John, game. The John, long game, John. John, I just wanted to party with you, and you're just just gonna throw me under the bus like that. That's it. You know? We're gonna take you out of the ocean, drag your ass on the sand, and carve you up into steaks. So land shark, land shark. Land. All right, Ryan, take us out. wow yeah there's a bunch of stuff you got yeah sharks you got a crab i see the knife under the crab so that's good a gator (laughs) robot no no, 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 that's not even the knife. no so that that is getting recorded but hold on (laughs) (laughs) oh my uh he knew which door it was in and everything just in case (laughs) it's important if you're gonna have a toolbox full of knives that you organize it well just just for deb you know gonna do the thing where i'm crawling backwards in the crab suit with the knife That'd be perfect. Do, do it just like the gift.